Hey, this is Craig Ballantyne from TurbulenceTraining.com and here with another Turbulence Training podcast. This time we have a special guest on who's a nutrition expert and he is, I guess you could say, like the half trainer or the half nutritionist of many of the Turbulence Training Transformation Contest winners because they've used his program. And it's Brad Pilon from Eat Stop Eat. So, Brad, welcome to the call. Thanks for having me, bud. So... Your program has been used by so many people that have won the contest, so many of them. I mean, like, not just people getting third place, but people winning the contest and then people getting second place in the same contest. But now you're telling us uh, it's gotten even better. So what version of Eat, Stop, Eat are you on now? All right, so I am on version six. So Eat, Stop, Eat was released in early 2007, and uh, I think I've just been about almost yearly uh, updates of it. This is a fairly fairly large one we've done this time, uh, incorporating a whole lot of information to really kind of bring to the forefront some of the things people have been asking about when it comes to fasting because it's gotten so popular over the recent year or two. Uh, so, like, what would those things be? Right. So, for, for most part, what people have been really asking about is um, the gender differences in, in fasting, right? Can is fasting the same for men as it is for women? So I really delved into the research on short periods of fasting and, and women or men and really tried to look and see if there, in fact, were gender differences. And, and there were some things that definitely had to be addressed in the book. So that's been included in. I've also gone over the, the idea of longer fasts. There's a lot of questions that, you know, people like to kind of take into extremes. So, I say a 24-hour fast once or twice a week. You know, naturally people start asking about a 36-hour fast, a 48-hour fast. Can you do the 24-hour fast back-to-back, etc.? So I really explained the research um, behind longer fasts. You know, while a 72-hour fast doesn't sound that long, I mean, it's still considered short-term fasting. I think what I had to remind people in this copy of Eat, Beat was that it's actually three times longer than I recommend. So while it still sort of sounds you know, less than a week, a lot of things happen when you fast for triple the length that I was originally suggesting. So I covered off the the concept of longer fast and just kind of explained to people why I don't really advocate them, nor do I use them in Eat, Stop, Eat. And the last thing I covered, and it was probably a really important oversight in the first couple editions of Eat, Stop, Eat, was I actually finally explained why Eat, Stop, Eat was set up the way it was. So Eat, Stop, Eat is one or two 24-hour fasts per week, and those fasts are divided between two days. And I finally explained why, you know, for me, it makes the most sense for the most people to do their fast and then have anywhere from two to six days of normal everyday eating. So that's now all included in this new version of Eat, Stop, Eat. Interesting. Yeah, well, we're going to get to some very uh, various fasting lengths and talk about that because there's been a lot of different ones out now, but... It just happens that Ramadan, I believe, is has started right now, um, and that it's in correct. the summertime for the first time that I've ever known it to be. So it's very difficult for a lot of people to be doing that. Is there anything that you've learned about Ramadan fasting? Because that tends to be one of the most popular versions of uh, fasting that is studied in the scientific literature. Anything that you just want to share with people uh, that are interesting facts? Yeah, well, Ramadan is very interesting because it's a month straight of fasting during the daylight hours. So in in areas like in Canada where, where I live, the 
you know, the days and nights can vary considerably depending on the season. So right now, being in the summer, I mean, you're looking at, you know, upwards of 16, 18 hours of, of straight fasting. And the interesting thing about Ramadan is we're not just talking about not eating. These are dry fasts, right? So not only do you not get any food, you don't get water, you don't get your coffee, no pop, no beer, no nothing. You're just, you're abstaining for the entire day. So Ramadan poses a very interesting thing for, for us to study because what it gives us is an amazing history of um, health and safety data for fasting. But you have to be careful with how you interpret Ramadan fasting because, in fact, there is no fluid intake. And not only is there not fluid intake, but during the, the month of Ramadan, what you do find is that people largely increase the amount of food they eat at night. They, um, people practicing Ramadan will tend to stay up into the evening hours to eat. And not only that, but especially during the summer, they will get up early to eat before the fast begins. So it's very interesting because you get lots of very good data from the practice of Ramadan, but you always have to remember to apply that data properly since most of us who are dieting for health and aesthetic, sorry, fasting for diet and aesthetic reasons aren't doing a true dry fast. You know, we're still taking in lots of water, most of us black coffee or, or other things, during our, our fast. So while they're very similar, we shouldn't get caught up in thinking they're the exact same thing. I mean, I, I've tried a dry fast. And uh, it's not something I would do on purpose for me. Right. And there's actually a few people in the NFL that are now uh, – that do Ramadan fasting as well. I remember they had something on a Pittsburgh Steeler player a couple of years ago. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got uh, NFL players, NHL players. I mean, we, we've got people who practice Ramadan just about every major sport. And and, and they, they work around it, right? The the conservation of, of fluid is something they kind of have to be careful of, so for hot games, et cetera. But in terms of performance, I mean, it's not like you'd watch a game and be like, oh, it's in Ramadan, that's why he's playing so poorly. You, you, you don't notice, and that's one of the exciting things, is you have research on Ramadan, and not only um, athletic football players and, and hockey players, but you also have data from power athletes, and that, that's really good data for us as people who enjoy the lifting of heavy things and putting them back down to realize that, during periods of fasting, these people maintain their strength. And it's especially important because, again, they're doing a dry fast, right? We're still well hydrated. Yeah, uh, very interesting stuff. And, and, you know, right now I'm playing around with the 16-8 ones, and it's very easy, you know, if you eat dinner a couple hours before bed and then you, you know, you sleep a regular seven or eight hours and then you get up and then you only have a few hours to go after that. And especially with green tea, uh, makes the day go by, you know, those final few hours go go by quite easily. And that's kind of what um, uh, the article in Men's Journal that you were quoted in, a lot of the guys were practicing that in that article as well. But yours is 1 by 24. So compare how that is against, this, you know, seven days a week of 16-8. Is it, do people find that it's easier to use your program? Is there any data on differences in results? You know, people tried 16-8 and then come back to your program? No, if, if you compare the programs, they're, they're very similar. In terms of total time fasting, uh, with let's say 2 times 24 as the more extreme version of what I practice, if you include the overnight fast of a typical person being around 8 or 10 hours, um, the total time spent fasting per week is, is less with, with my program, but not by much. We're talking about, you know, 80% of what you'd be fasting with the 16-8. 
16-8, well, sounds pretty scary to a lot of people. What, what you touched on, which was perfect, was that really when done properly, it's just an extension of the nighttime fast, right? You, you stop eating a little bit earlier than you normally would before you go to bed. And then when you wake up, you sort of take a brief pause and don't start eating right away. And bang, you're only about two or three hours away from the full 16. So it tends to be pretty easy to do. What we found is that depending on the couple factors, which one people tend to gravitate towards. Um, if you're a person who needs a lot of flexibility, um, then the benefit of a 1 by 24 or 2 by 24, so my method, is that you have flexibility when you choose to fast, since it's not every day, right? It's once or twice a week. So if I was planning on fasting tonight, but a big dinner came up, I don't have to freak out. I can just postpone my fast, my fast or, or do it earlier, depending on what's more convenient to me. Whereas with a 16-8, you're a bit more regimented, right? You um, you're trying to accomplish a fast every single day. Now, now, both have the advantage of that feeling of a small win, right? So with dieting, a lot of people describe traditional dieting as kind of a slow, inevitable march to an, a failure, right? You're eventually going to slip up. It sort of negatively reinforces um, bad habits. When you do slip up, you kind of think like, oh, you know, I'm just not strong enough for this. Both 16-8 and then sort of your 1 by 24 or 2 by 24 fasting allow you to have that small win, that kind of like, yeah, nailed it, like I can do this and I'm done. The difference being really in the amount of regimen. So if you're a person who needs flexibility, then the 1 by 24 tends to suit you better uh, than the 16 by 8. But if you're a person who just strives for regimen, then obviously the 16-8 is better for you. You tend to run in a little bit of issues with people who have, start to have difficulty with the fast. Um, in that case, if they're having difficulty with the length of fasting, then perhaps 16-8 is better. But if they're having difficulty with the frequency of fast and need a couple days of just normal eating in between, you go one by 24. The, the key with intermittent fasting is to make it work for you. What you're looking for is a type of fasting that just feels right. And when it starts to not feel right, you change it. So if you're doing a 1 by 24 or 2 by 24, let's say you were doing a dinner to dinner fast and it was working great. Now it just doesn't feel right. You don't really look forward to your fast anymore. It could become a kind of a chore. You switch to lunch to lunch. Maybe everything changes and it's better. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe what you want to do is switch to a shorter fast, the 16 by 8, and, you know, do it daily or maybe five times a week with the weekend off, that sort of thing. Um, fasting is an incredibly flexible, incredibly useful tool. But it is only a tool, which means that you're allowed to manipulate it and make it fit your life and, and balance into the, the type of things that you're into with your, with your life. So if you need more recovery time, 1 by 24. If you're walking along at 16 by 8 and everything feels great, you stick. Um, key is keep it flexible. What about in terms of, you know, the fact that you've had tens of thousands of people do this, uh, is there a kind of a common one for best results most convenient, um, best for parents, you know, in terms of scheduling? Is it, you know, is it a weekend from breakfast to breakfast or weekend from dinner to dinner? I know when I first tried it, after I thought you were crazy for recommending it in the first place back in 2007, I remember when I first read the book, yep. I'm like, wow, Brad, this is insane. I can't tell anyone about this. And here it is now, <laughs> the most popular program in the turbulence training world. Um, but... You know, when I first tried it, I went from a Friday evening dinner to Saturday evening dinner, and, and I found that easy. And I don't think I'd be a lunch-to-lunch -lunch guy. I, I mean, I'm a real dinner right. person. So 
So have yeah. you found anything, any common consensus, maybe even among the subgroups, like parents find it really easy to go from lunch to lunch, or they find it really easy to go from uh, dinner to dinner because they, you know, have, uh, they can skip a birthday party or something? Right. The dinner to dinner tends to work best for parents because with Eat, Stop, Eat, you're really only skipping two large meals if you're going by the three meal a day kind of um, idea, which means that, you know, you can have a 6 o'clock meal be done by done eating, let's say, 6.15, 6.20, if, if you're being smart and eating slowly. The very next day, you can have dinner at 6.30, and you haven't really interrupted the flow of your family. You're still eating in front of your children. You're still sitting at the dinner table. Um, so it tends to keep that level of consistency. For non um, for non-children people, <laughs> I guess is the way to say it. Um, the lunch and lunch is very interesting because for, for those people, the, a very important meal tends to be the lunch one because that's typically when eating with coworkers. So you can get through the, the necessities of work and the bonding that happens over food, and then you get in your car, you drive home, you're doing your commute, and by the time you get home, you know, instead of just popping in a sort of a microwave meal, you're just like, oh, you know, I, I don't have to eat. I can just relax. So it really is lifestyle dependent. I, I will tell you the most underrated version of Eat, Stop, Eat is the one by 24. I mean, for some reason, when I say, you know, a once or twice a week fast for 24 hours, everybody hears fast for two times a week, 24 hours. And for a lot of people, just a, a once a week, 24-hour break meeting is enough to really get that weight loss going with, with almost little to no interruption in their day, especially if they time that one day on a very busy day you know, a day where you're you're busy writing or you're doing housework, something to keep you occupied, it goes by like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, totally. And it's very, very convenient. And I just know so many people that are shift workers. They love doing it on a work day because they're mm -hmm. so busy. You know, there was this guy, Chris Curtis, from the Turbulence Training Membership site. He's a police officer, and he worked overnight, and it really just solved the problem of, you know, night eating on an overnight shift. You know, he was just busy, didn't have to do it, and he also loved the fact that he wasn't preparing six meals, like, and, and cleaning up after six meals. So there are so many peripheral benefits. Um, now, let's talk about where people go wrong with fasting, and you kind of have talked about this a little bit, where they're just doing it yeah. too much, and, and uh, is it too long of the fast that they're doing that that leads to muscle breakdown? Because I know in Ramadan, that's, you know, they lose weight and they lose muscle. But, of course, most of these right. people aren't training at all. But what do we right. see, you know, where do people mess up uh, the simple process of not eating? Yeah, so they, you mess up by stacking. So Eat, Stop, Eat was meant to be a replacement for sort of hardcore dieting and obsessive-compulsive exercise. It wasn't meant to be an addition to it. And so what I found is that people who have the most difficulties with fasting are people that get a, what would be without the fasting, is sort of an excellent diet, well thought out, calorie restricted program, and they add a dieting on top of it. And, you know, they will probably see accelerated fat loss when they do that for the first week, maybe the first month, but it will get to a point where that's just too exhausting, especially for the people who then are also adding on sort of excessive amounts of cardio or even just extreme training on top of that. So you run into the problem of doing, you know, you start off with a, a well-balanced, well-thought-out diet, a diet that all by itself, you know, it might have helped you lose some weight. Then you add in one 24-hour fast a week and you go, wow, you know, I'm, I'm losing weight even faster. I'm going to do two. Then you do two and you're like, now the weight's really coming off. I'm like, this is awesome. 
okay, I'm going to do a 16 by 8 every single day, but when those eight hours, instead of eating up the maintenance, I'm only going to eat like 800 calories, and then twice a week I'm going to do the 24-hour fast, and then three weeks go by and you're still going, I'm exhausted, I don't feel like exercising, fasting is just not for me. So what happens is by, by pushing yourself too far, by adding too much stress to the entire system of weight loss, you're really completely lost out on the benefits of fasting because chances are after an experience like that, you're not going to go back to fasting because it was quote-unquote too hard. But really you just stacked too many different types of dieting styles on top of one another. So always remember with fasting that, Yes, you can fast and do a bit of calorie restriction. That That's completely doable for a week, maybe two, depending on who you are, maybe even push it to a month, but that wasn't the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal was to replace dieting with a system that allowed you to, you know, fast once or twice a week, and then on the other days, live a normal, happy life eating the foods you like. So, I mean, on a more technical term, I wanted you to fast and eat the maintenance on the other days, right? So eat as much as you could, without gaining weight. And that wasn't an excuse to sort of eat like a kid the day after Halloween. I just wanted you to be able to enjoy the foods you like while once or twice a week addressing your, your calorie concerns by throwing in a fast. So doing it wrong means stacking diets on top of diets, on top of fast, on top of fast, until the point where you eventually just break down and don't want to do it anymore. Okay. Yeah, that's a really great um, description. I mean, I'm going to make people – on the turbulence training forum who asked me questions about, you know, can I combine this and this and make them listen to your answer because it just happens way too much and they're overcomplicating something that something you make so simple. Um, now what yeah, well, imagine if you did that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, fin- well, are you finish? Well, um, an analogy for those people would be if weight training works so well, right, and you're, you're doing, you know, turbulence training, you don't then do turbulence training then take an hour and a half break and do an hour and a half of power lifting, take an hour and a half break and do a bunch of Olympic lifting, obviously you're going to break down. So you have to view fasting kind of like working out. You find something that works, you stay consistent with it, and you'll see results. Right, right. So going back to, uh, you know, how you got into all this, you did a lot of experiments. Are you doing any experiments right now? Uh, two, actually, at the same time. I have just about completed um, six weeks off from both fasting and exercising. And if you know me, this is something I haven't done since I was 14 years old, and, well, barring being forced to do it by injury. So this was an elective. I'm just going to take some time off to just sort of um, to recoup. I can tell you it's not an enjoyable process, but it's always good to assess your relationship with, with your fitness program. And what I found was that I was getting a little too obsessive about it and I needed to kind of step back. I also wanted to make sure, and this is kind of weird, but um, often online I, I get accused of just having really good genetics. And if you know me, that you know that's not the case because you knew me pre-fasting. But uh, that oh, was something people kind face. of threw out. In your face, yeah, I, <laughs> I know genetics. <laughs> yeah, so, and I can tell you that after six weeks off, my waist Because your parents are both very good looking. I don't know well, what happened to me, yeah. I, <laughs> I hide it with the beard. Yeah, so but, yeah. but I can tell you that for six weeks off, the, the waistline is less visually appealing. So there's there's no good genetics there. It was my commitment to, you know, once or twice a week fasting, combined eating normally in a sound workout program that made me look the way I do. So now I'm even more eager than ever and to kind of get back into it, but get into it and make sure I have a good sense of balance while I do it. So an odd uh, experiment to do, but a good one for people who have been in this industry for a long time or into fitness for a long time. Every once in a while I'll be like, 
I'm going to take some time off, especially, I mean, I'm in uh, Prince Edward Island right now with the with the family, so I'm on vacation, so I thought it would be a sort of a, a good way to, to slide that in as just a complete total reset. So what's the bottom line here? How do you feel? Uh, I'm itching to get back in the gym, my friend. I am just, I want some weight in my hands. And it's it got to the point where the workouts were a little monotonous, and now I'm just, I'm craving it, which is a good feeling. And then I'm also, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to get back into into dieting, not extremely because I've enjoyed this, but I know now what maintenance calories is for me again, right? Not that I've forgotten it, but it's always good to reassess. So I'm maintaining my weight currently. So I know for sure at this level of eating, which is quite a pleasant level, that I will add in one or two fasts a week and I will get right back down to uh, the the look I normally have. So how much do you think you changed your body? Oh, I I would – I'm not any – so you know me, I'm normally about 175 pounds, maybe 172 in my photo shoots, 173. I'm not above 180. I'm probably about 177, 178 right now. So it reassured me that I wasn't – feasting or binging after my fast and was just using the fast to kind of regulate. But at the same time, it made me realize that I wasn't too far off. So I'm eating pretty much exactly the amount I should be eating um, if I were also fasting to maintain my weight. So a couple of fasts thrown in, and then I'll loosen up on the fast, maybe do one every five or six days uh, at this level of eating, and I'll be right back to where I'd like to be. So it's just a good kind of reset to make sure that I'm not using the fasting as a crutch. Okay, great, great. And, uh, you know, one thing you mentioned before about the person who who just eats lunch with their colleagues and then goes home and doesn't have dinner, you mentioned, you know, you get in the car and you go home. And one of the things you mentioned way back in one of our diet versus exercise videos is a lot of people eat in their car, and that's one of the rules that you have is that you don't eat in the car. And I thought that was a great rule. And I think another thing that you've talked about that nobody else has ever talked about before is protein guilt. So first of all, explain protein guilt. Uh, second of all, explain how you know not eating in your car can be a big benefit. And then also tell us if you have any other of these kind of unique little rules and tips for people. Yes, absolutely. So, so protein guilt is, is something that's very unique to people in the fitness industry. And I'm sure as everybody in this call is aware, every once in a while you're going to want to eat a bit more, obviously. And so that internal battle goes on where you try to justify the extra calories. And for guys and girls, that justification always comes in the form of, ah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed the muscle, I'm going to fuel up, like I need this giant recovery meal. And you usually base it around protein, right? So you feel guilty that you haven't had protein. Or even though, you know, you're fairly confident in the research showing that, well, a little bit of extra protein is definitely good for building muscle, you know, massive, massive quantities don't speed that up, you tend to kind of forget and go, no, you know what, maybe an extra 200 grams of protein combined with some sweet potato, combined with a dessert, I need this. I need to build muscle, and I I need to get that protein in. And even if that protein comes with a lot of extra calories I didn't really need, I need it. So the protein, the guilt of not eating enough, tends to drive overeating a lot of people. So to be comfortable with the amount of protein, to realize that, you know, it's a range, muscle grows very slowly, so I know I'm aiming for 120 grams a day or whatever the case may be, and I only hit 100, it doesn't mean you should overshoot it by 80. It just means that, you know, on a rolling average, are you still getting roughly 120 grams? But for a lot of us, protein seems to be a, a driving factor because we've just been told constantly it's good for you, it's good for you, it builds muscle, it builds muscle. 
we kind of forget, hey, it also contains calories. It's also typically you're never going to eat a straight protein source um, unless it's a supplement. So it tends to lead to a little bit of overeating. You feel guilty for not having enough protein, and then you have some protein, and all of a sudden you've overeaten by five or six hundred calories. So it's something to watch for is that guilt of, of not getting enough protein that sneaks into the justification for overeating. Um, another one that, that's very common, especially in fitness circles, is the inability to enjoy the foods you like. So what happens here is something called disinhibited eating, where you've been trying to be really, really good with your diet. And then your kids want to go for ice cream, and you say, I'm, okay, I'm going to take you for ice cream. And you get there, and you're planning on just watching your kids have ice cream, and then all of a sudden, you don't know what happened, but aliens took over your body. They ordered a double scoop of mint chocolate chip, and you're eating it. For a lot of people, just having that one ice cream is like the, oh, I blew it. Oh, I messed up so bad. I'm just going to go, you know, let's go. Let's, we're going to go across the street to the grocery store. We're going to get some brownies. We're going to get some donuts. We're going to get some ice cream because daddy blew it, right? And you get into that mentality of, for some reason, just having, I don't know, an extra 200 calories of ice cream, you know, maybe something off your plan leads to then effectively the end of your diet. And it takes two or three days to recover from that before you kind of gear up and get ready to start dieting again. When really what you should have done is going like, oh, oh I had ice cream today. Well, tomorrow I'm probably not going to have it, right? But there's this, this weird thing called disinhibited eating that tends to drive a lot of people to overeat. So something to watch for there is that if, if, you, if you have something off your plan, just accept that you had something off your plan. It doesn't mean that you have to sell the farm. It doesn't, it's not like everything's over. You just move on with yourself. But a lot of people have problems doing that. So that's something important to watch for. Um, in terms of tips, they get what was that word you called it? Dis, dis what? Disinhibited, e- disinhibited eating. Uh, it right. happens when people, yeah. So it's something to really watch for, and it's something that happens to a lot of people in the fitness niche as we start labeling certain foods. Go bad. I'm just, I'm not having ice cream for the next 12 weeks. Then you have some ice cream, and you're like, I blew it. Now I'm going to have a tub of ice cream and some pizza, et cetera, et cetera. So. Something to watch for is that feeling of because you messed up a little bit, therefore it's over and you should binge for a day or two, then get back at it. We want to erase that. That's a, a sabotaging that a lot of people do themselves. Hey, do you remember um, that time we went to get ice cream and my dog uh, broke off the leash and went into the hamburger place? And got an actual full full hamburger? Yeah. That. <laughs> he knew where he was going. There was not a moment of doubt. He smelt it. He was gone. That was That was fantastic. Yeah, and yet he still has abs. Go figure. <laughs> he still does have abs, and he's eight years old. Um, so you were going to mention, I think, one was there one more thing you were going to mention, or was that it for the sneaky, healthy ways that people sabotage the results? That That's the main one. I mean, in terms of that, it's just what you have to watch for is that if you do break your diet plan, um, the, the worst sabotage comes right after that point. When you have a choice to make, be like, ah, Okay, I stopped for gas, and some for some reason I got peanut butter cups. All right, that's the end of it. I'm back on. You have to think like that as opposed to, oh, I'm so weak. I had peanut butter cups. I'm, I'm horrible at dieting. I'm just going to go home. You know, it's over. I'm going to have some ice cream. I blew it, right? And that's that weird thinking people have. And that's the number one thing. If you can avoid that, if you can simply let it be, you had some peanut butter cups, you're going to be a lot better off at controlling and staying on your diet. Okay, yeah, that's great advice, Brad. I appreciate that. Um, all right, so I, I think this is a really great call, and we could talk about this forever, but we both have uh, things to get to. You have holidays to get back onto. I have a dog to yeah, go walk, uh, not near any hamburger shops, but um, <laughs> somewhere safe. 
So thanks for being on the call, man. Really looking forward to this. Hey, and, no worries. Um, where can people get the newest version of Eat Stop Eat? Newest version replaces the old version, uh, July 17th, that, that week. Um, and just the minute that switch is over, it'll be up on the website. It'll be the new expanded edition, and uh, you'll be good to go. At eatstopeat.com? Eatstopeat.com, absolutely. Perfect. Thanks so much, Brad. And anybody who has an old version will get the updated version, right? Absolutely. Been that way since the beginning. All right, dude. That is fantastic. So thanks so much. Say hi to the family for me, and uh, we will talk to you soon. And, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Craig Ballantyne from TurbulenceTraining.com. Bye-bye, everyone.